Well, it's an opportunity now to spend a little bit of time focusing on God's Word, and I hope you'll take that opportunity by having a Bible open, and uh, we'll pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you speak to us and that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Uh, you are calling to us, and we pray that you help us to listen and, and to hear that call. And also, please move us to obey what we hear, because it is you that's speaking. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, when I was in my uh, 20s, uh, a friend invited me to a big Christian conference at a sports arena. Uh, the guest speaker was a man from Texas. He had slicked back hair and a chiseled jaw. He looked like he worked out. He wore this, he wore this very bright yellow blazer, uh, which I can still remember. And the theme of his talk was stepping over the line or stepping outside the box. Winners have the courage to step out of their box. Losers just sit in their box and get nowhere. And at the end, he issued an appeal to step over the line for salvation. That was his phrase. I can remember it clearly. And he invited people to come down the front. And people came streaming down the aisles with great enthusiasm responding uh, to this appeal. Um, now, from my, as I recall, um, I, he didn't mention sin and he didn't mention judgment and he didn't mention the cross and so I was kind of flabbergasted that all these people were responding by streaming down the aisles to the front uh, because I remember thinking, what are, they, what are they responding to? What is it that they heard that made them come? Because I certainly didn't hear anything in the talk that made me think, well, this would make me respond. They were, they were signing up for something Christian. I guess it was the vibe that got to them. Um, but based on what they heard there, they couldn't possibly know what being a Christian involves, I would say. So what does a decision for Christ involve? If you decide to become a Christian, what are you signing up for? For some people, becoming a Christian seems to be a little bit like online shopping. So you do your shopping and then uh, your wife asks you what you've bought and you admit that you're not exactly sure what it's going to look like when it arrives, but you've bought something and you hope it's going to be okay. Um, my wife, Jo's now banned me from buying jeans online. Um, have you tried buying jeans? Because, of course, you can know your size and order the jeans, but the fit is an entirely different matter. Um, I once put on a brand-new pair of jeans that I got online, and I was um, alone in the bedroom, and I, and I had them on, and I was looking at myself in the mirror, and one of my kids barged in, and uh, he looked at me very thoughtfully and asked in, in all innocence... Daddy, why are you wearing women's pants? Um, so, that's, I'm hoping that's not an image that's burned in his memory. Um, so, they're not the only pair of brand new jeans that I've donated to Vinnie's. Uh, so, that's online shopping. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. And quite a lot of people claim the name of Christ without knowing exactly what being a Christian is supposed to involve. Um, they say, I'll be a Christian, but they don't know what they mean by that because they haven't been told clearly or they haven't heard clearly. The most common area of fuzziness, I think, uh, with regard to being a Christian and what it involves relates to salvation versus obligation. Too often, people are told that here is a sweet deal for salvation. You just need to say yes, and you have a golden ticket. You can just go and live your life, and we'll see you in heaven. And so, fantastic for you. But in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus sets out this standard of righteousness in the kingdom of heaven, which is a surpassing righteousness, and he describes a righteousness that's so profound that only he could live it out. 
And so people sometimes have trouble knowing what to do with the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus seems to be in such earnest about what we are supposed to do. Uh, And so some people try to interpret it as if, well, Jesus is speaking about how we're going to behave in another time, not now, or this is how certain special people are going to behave, but not me, Uh, or this is just a theory that Jesus is on about, but he doesn't really mean for us to do it. Um, But the thing is that when you look at the way Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, it sounds as though he fully expects us to try to obey his teaching. He does expect us to do this. Uh, So this righteousness is part of the deal of being a Christian. And it's, according to Jesus, he says it four times in different ways, it's an essential part of being saved in the end. Uh, Now, there are four elements to that choice that Jesus describes here, the choice to be a Christian, the choice to become a Christian. There are four elements to it. And the first is that we must choose our gate. Uh, As he describes here, each gate leads to a road, each road leads to a destination. And of course, this is talking about the course of your life. Which gate have you chosen? Which road are you on? Where are you going? Uh, He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So there are just two options in life. You can follow Jesus or you cannot follow Jesus. And the reason there are only two options, I mean you might think there are lots of options, I could choose lots of different things. The reason there are only two options, two roads, two gates, is that there are only two destinations. There is life, which is heaven with God, and there is destruction, which is the complete and utter ruin of going to hell. We're all heading to one destination or the other. I think a lot of people assume that there's something in between where they'll end up. Jesus says, no, only two roads, two destinations. And he describes the roads, the ways. The one that leads to life is narrow, he says. The one that leads to destruction is wide. And that implies a few things. First of all, in a sense, it's hard to get to heaven, Jesus is saying, and it's easy to go to hell. It's hard to become a true Christian. The gate is narrow and it's hard to go on as a Christian. The road is narrow, says Jesus. It's hard because it means taking Jesus' call for righteousness seriously. He wants us to live by the Sermon on the Mount. This is serious. So someone considering becoming becoming a Christian needs to ask themselves, can I commit myself to doing what Jesus is talking about in this sermon? Uh, It's a narrow gate. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells these eager crowds who are following him, being my disciple means carrying a cross. You need to think about whether you are up for that or not. And then he tells a couple of stories. No one builds a tower Uh, if they haven't worked out whether they've got enough money to actually pay to finish the tower. You wouldn't start otherwise. And no king goes to war if they haven't worked out whether they've got a realistic chance of winning the war. You wouldn't start the war if you knew you couldn't win. So you need to think about whether you are up for the cost of being a Christian, Jesus says. The gate is narrow. That is, it's a hard decision if you actually realise the way that Jesus wants you to take this. And then the road is also narrow. Once you are a Christian, it's not an easy life. It's not a spacious eight-lane freeway uh, where cruise control uh, is easy. The Christian life squeezes you. 
Uh, it constricts you. It's a trail with rocks and potholes and hairpin bends. And it's a punishing road that is exhausting and difficult to drive down. Um, look at the righteousness that Jesus describes in this sermon, which we've been thinking about. It's very hard to do. So Jesus says the road is narrow. And for that reason, it's the broad road that leads to destruction, which is the default road for everybody. If you're not thinking about what road you're on, if you haven't made a conscious choice, then you are on the broad road and heading for destruction. Because that's where our sinful natures will steer us. That's the path of least resistance. We're going to go down there. But the narrow road requires conscious, deliberate choice and application because it's the path of self-denial and self-discipline. There are many choices that I wouldn't have made if I weren't a Christian. And there are many battles that I would not be fighting if I weren't a Christian. Uh, sometimes it hurts to be a Christian and to live a righteous life as we struggle against our own desires and, and we try to do righteousness. We struggle in ways that people on the broad road do not struggle at all. Uh, someone said to me quite recently, if I weren't a Christian, I wouldn't still be in this marriage. I'm finding it very hard work. He's on the narrow road. Um, I've seen Christians give their money away in ways that worldly people just can't make sense of. That, that's the narrow road. I've seen Christians being gracious to the most ungrateful, awful people, and that also is the narrow road. It squeezes you, it's not easy or comfortable, and that's righteousness. Now, of course, um, I'm not saying there are no joys and encouragements along the way. It's a good life. You receive much blessing even before the destination. But Jesus is saying it's not easy and it's not obvious to choose this. Jesus says there are few who find it here. Now, in the end, there'll be a multitude gathered around the throne. But on the way, it could be a lonely road because not many people are all that interested in righteousness. And uh, let me say that this is why church is so important and you should always prioritise setting time aside to be with the people of God, at least here in this hour that we're here on Sunday nights. Prioritise it because there are few who find the narrow road and if you're on it, it'll be a lonely road and here we get together, we few, to encourage one another to walk on this road of righteousness. It's too easy to conform to the world in various ways, what they believe and what they do. But Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate and then navigate the narrow road because that is the only road that leads to life. You want to go to heaven, there is no other road to take than this one, says Jesus. So choose your gate. And a key factor here is choose your guides. So this is the second bit, the second paragraph, verses 15 to 20. The narrow gate is so hard to find, it's not obvious, it's so hard to spot perhaps, that somebody can get away with pretending to be a Christian and leading people on the broad road to destruction while looking Christian. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He's talking about church leaders who are in it to satisfy their own appetites, whether that be they want money or they want a, their ego or the status or whatever. They like to have a group of people who are willing to listen to them for 20 minutes, half an hour, and that makes them feel good. Um, they look innocent, they look Christian, they look like sheep, but their motives are entirely selfish. In fact, they are wolves. And Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. In other words, 
A wolf can't disguise himself as a sheep forever. Sooner or later, something will happen and they'll snarl. Um, a tree can't hide its true nature forever. It's a lemon tree. It's going to produce lemons. Uh, if it's a thorn bush, it'll produce thorns. It's not going to produce grapes. Uh, so the fruit of the, false, of the false prophet is what they produce from their ministry and their life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. A person might be uh, a very wonderful, nice person or a very powerful preacher or an inspirational leader. But the question is, are they personally on the narrow road walking with Jesus on the hard road of righteousness? And does their ministry promote others to do the same? Jesus says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, um, maybe you've got examples in your mind of, of, um, of false guides or ministers who've fallen by the wayside and done the wrong thing. Um, of course, Jesus here is talking about an extreme, a wolf in sheep's clothing. In between that and Jesus himself, there's a whole spectrum of ministers, and I'm there on there as well, somewhere. Um, there are some people who have good ministries and they have lots of obvious good fruit from their ministry. Uh, there are some people who have a good ministry and produce good fruit, but it's not very obvious. Um, there are some who go off track in their life and ministry and they harm other people in the process, but in the end, they will still be saved by the grace of God. Uh, and then, of course, there are some who were never Christian and are taking people with them to hell. The overall point that Jesus is making is that we need to choose our guides carefully by watching the fruit that they produce over time. Is this somebody who will lead me on the narrow road? Uh, or is this all just froth and bubble and big promises and good feelings? Jesus doesn't want us to be deceived. And it's very easy to be deceived because uh, the narrow road is subtle and not obvious. Um, I was talking to somebody at our Thursday congregation during the week and I said to her how are you she said oh I'm feeling terrible I'm so worried I said what's the matter she said well I, I fell for a scammer last night somebody rang and um, said they were from Telstra and I was I'm not very good late at, um, in the evenings and I'm just a bit confused about what they were talking about and I, I gave them all my details and then I hung up the phone and I realized what I'd done and so I rang my daughter and we're trying to get it all sorted out I've just been feeling very sick about it I mean at least she realized um, fairly early but she'd been scammed and it's an awful feeling to have been deceived and then worry about the, the consequences. Jesus is warning us here that it's possible to be scammed out of eternal life by somebody who looks like a sheep but actually they're a wolf. Choose your guides carefully and look at the quality of the fruit and judge it by the standards that Jesus sets out in this sermon. Jesus doesn't want us to be deceived. But on the other hand, he also doesn't want us to deceive ourselves which is entirely possible also and so in verses 21 to 23 he tells us to choose our grasp on Jesus because it's possible to believe in Jesus and not have real faith it's possible to have some sort of grasp of Jesus but not a saving grasp on him Jesus says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven and then he paints this picture of a terrifying scenario on Judgment Day, final entry into the kingdom of heaven, and a person full of confidence strides up to Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, this is their time. They've done so much for Jesus. They're enthusiastic. 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons in your name? And did we not do many miracles in your name? Uh, and maybe somebody today, did, did I not lead a Bible study group for 20 years? And uh, was I not a pillar of the church? And didn't I do all kinds of very good things in the church? And he looks at them and says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What were they missing? They'd done so much. Jesus says, only the one who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. So you can go under the name of Christ, you can even do good things in the name of Christ, but still not be on the narrow road, and in a sense, still unknown to Jesus. Notice the final words there. Uh, the NIV says, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Literally, it says, away from me, you workers of lawlessness. So even while they were involved in Christ's work, and even though they claimed the name of Christ, they were workers of lawlessness, that is, they didn't submit to Jesus' law, they didn't even try to do righteousness, and so they were doing it all on their terms, really, rather than on Jesus' terms. They weren't actual disciples. And I think the point is that faith is not just putting on a badge. Oh yeah, okay, you want me to be a Christian, I'll put that badge on. Um, faith expresses itself in character, in righteousness, which flows from knowing Christ personally and following him on this narrow road. That's what it's about. And you can imagine these people walking away from Jesus on Judgment Day. He said, away from me. Uh, and saying to each other, well, after all I did for him, here, I, here he is sending me away. Of course, they don't get it. And they don't get it today. They won't get it then. Jesus doesn't want our favours. He doesn't just want you to wear his badge. Uh, he wants disciples. He wants our trust. He wants our hearts. He wants us to know him and for him to know us. And so I might ask you, what, what is Jesus going to say to you when you come to him on Judgment Day? Uh, will you be a stranger to him, somebody who just wears the badge but doesn't actually know him? Or in other words, what kind of grasp do you have on Jesus? What kind of connection do you have with Jesus? Is there anything actually there between you personally and Jesus? Is there a trust? Is there an allegiance? Uh, we need to make sure that we're not self-deceived by just going through the motions. And so the final choice is about how to make sure. And here we have the famous parable about the wise and the foolish builders building their houses. And I think these uh, verses, they don't show the difference between a believer and a rejecter of the gospel because both people are building a house. They're both building some sort of Christian life. The difference is between a wise and a foolish or a true or, and false follower of Jesus. Both will be hit by the perfect storm on Judgment Day, the ultimate test of the house, and the difference is the foundations of the house. The house with foundations is the Christian life in which you hear Jesus' words and you put them into practice. The other kind of house with no foundations, uh, no doing of Jesus' words, will fall with a great crash, says Jesus. And of course, you can't easily tell the difference between the two houses just by looking. They've both got nice paint jobs, they've both got fancy little bits around the doors. Um, uh, you know, they both have everything that you would expect in a house except one of them doesn't have foundations and you can't easily spot that. Uh, when the storm hits, you'll notice that that doesn't have foundations because the, the house will be gone. And so Jesus is urging us to do the hard work, maybe even the hidden work of obedience to his words. 
the, the hard-won righteousness is the foundation of the Christian life. Uh, it's not all the rest of the stuff that comes with it. And so effectively, Jesus is saying, well, you like the Sermon on the Mount? You like my sermon? Well, it's meaningless unless you actually go and do what I'm telling you to do. And I think maybe there's a challenge here for Sydney Anglicans because we like the word and we, like, we tend to be fairly um, well catered for. Uh, you could even maybe describe many of us as connoisseurs of preaching. We know good preaching when we hear it. Sometimes we wish we'd hear more of it. Um, but of course, being a connoisseur of preaching means absolutely nothing if you are not hearing God's word and going and doing it. It's, if it's not making a difference in the way that you behave and the way that you live your life, you may as well not be hearing it at all. And many of you read your Bible just by yourself, and that's a great thing to do. But let me remind you that it's not just a matter of saying, oh, I've got to read these chapters this week, otherwise I'm going to fall behind my Bible reading plan, so read, tick, read, tick, read, tick. Um, it's much more important that you make sure you, you're applying it thoroughly to your life. And so if you just get stuck on one verse and it takes you a week to apply that to your life and that's your Bible reading for the week, that one verse, much better than just reading 50 chapters and ticking them all off and then forgetting about them. The foundation that we need for eternity is hearing God's word and doing it. And that's the narrow road and that's the good fruit and that's the genuine disciple. Jesus didn't preach the Sermon on the Mount so that everyone would say, that's a great sermon, you're a brilliant teacher. He preached it so that we would all go and do it. And so I think it's very clear what being a Christian involves. If you're thinking about being a Christian, um, maybe you're already one and you're thinking about continuing, it's about hearing God's word and doing it even when it's hard. Uh, and he's very clear here at the end of his sermon that the stakes here are huge. Uh, I hope that you're not considering walking away from this because he says it in four different ways here. If we don't do this, it's destruction, it's the fire, it's away from me and it's the great crash in the end. Um, now, some might feel that all of this has the effect of basically saying, you'd better get righteous otherwise you're going to hell. Um, but of course, it's not as simple as that. Jesus is not teaching legalism here. He's not saying we have to earn our way to heaven. He knows that we can't meet the standard. He, knows that he, would, he, he knew that he would have to die for us. You have to be saved into the kingdom and then you have to go on um, by God's strength and in his salvation. But we need to realise that we are saved into a kingdom that's all about righteousness. And he expects us to set our sights on that righteousness, his standard. The effect of the sermon wasn't supposed to be that we just hear it and resolve to become better people, and that's it. We're supposed to hear this sermon and be drawn to follow Jesus because he is the one who stands for this righteousness and brings this righteousness, and he himself is the key to all of this. And so the real challenge here is to choose Jesus. Notice the reaction of the crowd after Jesus finished the sermon, verses 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus preached on righteousness in such a profound way that people were left thinking, what kind of person can deliver the kingdom that he is describing here? Their first reaction was not, well, I need to go away and make myself into a better person. 
it was, well, maybe I should follow this guy. He seems to understand the mind of God like nobody else does. He claims to be the centre of this kingdom of heaven. He seems to have a moral authority that I've never seen before. He seems to radiate righteousness that he's describing to us. So this is not just committing ourselves to a path. This is about committing ourselves to a person who is the centre of this kingdom. Uh, After all, he said he is the gate, he is the way, he is the good shepherd, he's not a wolf, he is our lawgiver, and his words are the foundation of the Christian life. So faith is not just signing up to something and believing some stuff. Faith is an attachment to Jesus himself, which transforms you in righteousness as he leads you down this narrow road. And if you follow it, then at the end, he will not say to you, I never knew you away from me. He will say to you, well done, you've made it. You've come home to me. That's what lies at the end. I was talking to someone who described to me the process by which she became a Christian. Uh, It involved reading the Bible with her sister. And they came to to this passage, the narrow road, uh, and it hit them that that it is a narrow road, being a Christian. Uh, They'd been connected with religion, but they hadn't really been Christian. They'd assumed that everyone who's kind of religious goes to heaven. It's only the real rotters who go to hell. They didn't realise that there's a choice to be made, a very personal choice. There's a connection to be made with Jesus. A relationship has to begin so that you can walk down that narrow road. It's a huge moment for them when they realise it's just not automatic. We've got to choose this. And they made the choice. Can I encourage you this evening to make a choice about this? Because if you continue in default mode, you will not find yourself on the narrow road, you're on the other one. We've got to choose this life. And if you're already a Christian, we have to keep choosing this life every day. Uh, We've got to make the choice with our eyes open in full knowledge of what it involves. Jesus has outlined this all the way through the sermon. Enter through the narrow gate, stay on the narrow road, keep following Jesus Hear his word and do it. He's the only one who can lead you on this road. He's the only one who can save you. So let me encourage you to make that choice and I'll pray that God moves us to do that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is so clear in what he expects us to do, what he commands us to do. But we also acknowledge that it's so challenging to commit ourselves to righteousness and the road that is hard and narrow and exhausting and difficult. Please help us to be up for that challenge, Lord. And we thank you that Jesus died for our sins so that even when we stumble and even when we go off track sometimes, we can come back to you. But we pray, Lord, that you would commit ourselves to this righteousness as we walk with Jesus. And we pray that you would fill us with a vision of him, the one who can lead us and guide us and save us, and to follow him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.